Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, uh, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whosoever, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. When he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Now what goes into the mouth defiles, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So this is the passage that we're looking at today. Again, if you're, you're new to Calvary Chapel Truckee, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. And uh, if you're not aware of it, right now we've just passed the halfway point in Matthew's Gospel. You know, some of you might be thinking, about time, Gare. Yeah, you know, we're taking our time. We want to learn everything we can about Jesus. And so uh, when we were last together, uh, we looked at the disciples. They were crossing the Red Sea a couple of weeks ago. They encountered the storm, and Jesus came to them walking on the waves. And it's always interesting to me. Jesus came to them walking on the very thing that they were afraid of, right? They were afraid of the storm, and he comes walking to them in the midst of the storm, walking to them on the waves. And last, last time we were together, we learned, you know, that there are storms that come into our lives, even when we're right in the middle of God's will for our lives. You know, sometimes I think, okay, Lord, you know, one storm, that's, that's all I need to learn the lesson. But do we ever learn the lesson with just one storm? You know what? Most of the time I don't. Most of the time I don't. I'm a slow learner. And I'm glad my wife's not here because you hear a resounding amen right now. I'm a very slow learner. Each time a storm comes into my life, you know, I'm standing up screaming the same thing. Lord, don't you care that I'm perishing here? So I'm thankful that the Lord continues to work with us. He continues to work in us. I'm so thankful for his faithfulness to us in the midst of the storm. And now, you know, uh, well, at the end of Matthew chapter 14, we saw Peter, he gets out of the boat. He begins to sink. He cries out to the Lord. And immediately the Lord reaches out, rescues him, and gets Peter back in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat with him. And then immediately they're at their destination. And then at the end, of very end of chapter 14, you know, Jesus healed everyone that was there in that area of Gennesaret. And now Matthew picks up the story 
And he tells us, verse 1, chapter 15, Then the scribes and the Pharisees uh, were from, who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus. So we want to understand most of Jesus' ministry was there in the northern portion of Israel. Jesus was from the Galilee area, and so that's where much of his ministry has taken place. But news has spread all over Israel, right? And, and it's, gone in, it's reached its way to Jerusalem, what Jesus has been doing. You know, they heard of, uh, in Jerusalem that Jesus had fed the 5,000, not including the men and women. He's already cleansed the temple once there in Jerusalem. You know, and there's this, already this hostility that's growing between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus, he's already claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He's already claimed to have power to forgive sins. And he has pretty much ignored and trampled on many of the traditions of the elders. And now we read that the scribes and the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem. So who were the scribes and the Pharisees? And why do you think the scribes and Pharisees came to the Galilee area all the way from Jerusalem? I mean, it's a long way away. Well, again, if you've been studying with us, then you know that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the religious leaders of Judaism. And at this point in time, they're pretty concerned with what Jesus has been teaching and what he's been doing. You know, Jesus seemed to take a stand against everything the religious leaders stood for. So these big guys... These religious heavyweights, they come down from Jerusalem, probably sent from the Sanhedrin. And now, uh, just for your understanding, the Sanhedrin was a, a Jewish council made up of 70, 71 uh, elders, right? It was modeled, it was patterned after the 70 elders that God established through Moses. And in regards, in, in, the, in regards to the uh, Sanhedrin, you know, the Gospels, they call it the Council of Elders. Again, it was, it was made up primarily of Pharisees, which were uh, the legalists of the day. And it was also made up of the Sadducees, which were the ultra-liberals of the day. They were the religious and political leaders of the nation of Israel, but they were still subject to Roman authority. They were aware of the multitudes of multitudes of people that were flocking to Jesus at this time and the influence that he was having on the people. So uh, they came to investigate what Jesus had been doing among the people and what he had been teaching. So verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread now to me it's i think funny things you know it's incredible to me the scribes and the pharisees they aren't amazed they aren't astounded in the least by jesus feeding the five thousand men in the wilderness they're just bugged because the disciples didn't wash their hands right and we need to understand that by this time in Judaism, the Jews were not, they not only had the word of God, but they were also following the oral tradition of the elders. So not only were they following the written word of God, which they had interpreted very legalistically, but they were also had these volumes and volumes of traditions handed down from different rabbis. You know, this rabbi said this, and that rabbi said that. And that oral tradition, it was called the Talmud. And the Talmud, we've talked about it in the past, but the Talmud, by the time they got finished compiling it, it was 22 volumes containing 523 books of oral traditions and teachings, and that was just on the Pentateuch. That was just on the first five books 
of Moses. And the problem was that they had elevated their interpretations and their traditions above the Word of God. In the mind of the religious leaders of the day, the Talmud was more authoritative and more important than the commands God personally gave to His people. So if I can give you an example of maybe what it might look like, the way the traditions of the rabbis, you know, it crept in and, and they were taught being elevated above the Word of God. It would be something very similar today uh, to uh, maybe Catholicism, right? Today, you know, within Catholicism, you have Catholics that they're trying to follow the Word of God, but they also have put on the same level with the Word of God the traditions and teachings of the popes, right? So today you'll find these practices that have crept into the Catholic Church as a result of tradition. For instance, when you enter into a Catholic church there by the door, there's a basin of water, and it's holy water. It's not found in the pages of the New Testament. Frequently, you see people in the Catholic church, as they walk down the aisle to find a seat, uh, you know what they'll do is they'll kneel, they'll do the sign of the cross, and then they'll go into the row uh, and take a seat. It's just tradition, Right? burning candles to Mary, which started in the mid-centuries. You know, many cathedrals, they were, uh, many cathedrals, great cathedrals around the world have been built uh, from the proceeds the raised through selling these prayer candles. And it goes on today. It's not biblical. You don't see it in the pages of Scripture. It's just tradition. Praying to Mary, the idea, you know, that somehow Mary has special influence or access to Jesus. So, you know, you pray to Mary, she'll talk to Jesus on your behalf, and that way you can be assured that your prayers are going to be answered. After all, what good Jewish boy wouldn't listen and do whatever his mom asked him to do? Um, you know, calling the priest father, right? It's tradition that's crept in. You know, it, it happens to be contrary to what Jesus taught also. Matthew 23, 9, if you're taking notes, Jesus said, call, call no man father, for you have one father who's in heaven, right? Going to the priest to confess your sins and receive absolution. Again, something that's not taught in the pages of Scripture, but is actually contrary to the Word of God. We have one mediator between uh, God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. You know, and these are just a few of the traditions the Catholic Church has adopted and taught as necessary to have any kind of a relationship with Jesus and the Father. So not only are Catholics trying to follow the Word of God, but they're also trying to live by these traditions which are taught as being on par with the Word of God. And so that's the way it was kind of in Judaism at this time, right? And the Jews had at this time this tradition of washing their hands before they ate. You know, somebody might uh, argue, well, you know, it's actually a good idea for health reasons, Gare. Yeah, you know, but this has nothing to do with hygiene at all. What's being talked about here is a tradition that the Jews began to follow, right, where you had to wash your hands in a very ceremonial, a very specific way, before you sat down and eat. And not only before you ate, but also between every course of that meal, right? Um, and the scribes and the Pharisees believed that it was a righteous requirement, right? You needed to do this. Alfred Adersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he wrote, the value of ceremonial rinsing was held so high that one rabbi insisted that whosoever has abode in the land of Israel and eats his common food with rinsed hands may rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. So in this rabbi's view, I mean, washing your hands, that was a prerequisite for eternal life. Alfred Adersheim, he continues and says, Another rabbi taught that it would be better to walk four miles out of the way to get water 
than to eat with unwashed hands. Personally, I'm never that hungry. But um, he continues, a certain rabbi was imprisoned and given a small ration of water used to wash his hands before eating. Uh, he was imprisoned and was given a small ration of water which he used to wash his hands before eating rather than to drink, claiming he would rather die than transgress the tradition. Matthew Poole, the great Bible commentator of the 1600s, uh, he wrote that the Jewish rabbi Josie said, he sins as much who eats with unwashed hands as he who lies with a harlot. And they believed at this time that if anyone was to mock the tradition of washing their hands, they should be put to death. Right? That's how seriously they viewed the tradition of hand washing. And the Jews, they came up with a very specific way that they were to wash their hands. First, they were to hold their hands kind of upright like this. And they would take one and a half eggshells of water. It had to be one and a half eggshells of water. That was the tradition. And they would pour that water over each hand. And they would allow that water to drip off their wrist. Couldn't go any further than their wrist. Had to drip off their wrist, right? And then they would turn their hands downward with their fingers pointing down. And again, they would take another one and a half eggshells of water and pour over both the hands and let that water drip off their fingertips. And then, left hand first, they would wipe off the right hand. Then the right hand, they would wipe off the left hand. And if you didn't grow, go through all of that, you'd be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, right? And not only did they do this again before each meal, they did this before every course of the meal. And when they declared a person ceremonially unclean because of their tradition, what they were doing was they were denying the people access to God. And so that's the background here. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered them, verse 3, and said, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Jesus wasn't concerned about transgressing the traditions of the elders. His concern was transgressing the word of God. And you know, it's crazy to me, but the, the religious leaders, they admit right here that it's the tradition of the elders, right? It's the tradition of the elders. These ceremonial washings are not based on anything other than tradition. You don't find it in the scripture. It's not in the word of God. It's not in the law. And Jesus goes on to say, verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. What Jesus is doing here is he's quoting two different scriptures here. He's quoting from Exodus 20, 12, and Exodus 21, 17. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments, Honor your mother and father. And the consequences of failing to do so, let him be put to death. In verse 5, Jesus says, But you say, whosoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you have received from me is a gift of God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. If you will, real quick, Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Math, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 gives us a little more insight into what is being said here. Mark chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. It's the parallel passage to what we read in Matthew. Mark chapter 7, verse 11 through 13. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down, 
and many such things you do. So the tr tradition that was being taught uh, was that instead of honoring your father, your mother, providing for them, especially when they were in need, some rabbis taught that all you'd have to do is just say, Corbin, dedicate it to God. You know, Mom, Dad, I'd love to help you right now, you know, but all I have has been dedicated to God. You know, I'd love to help you out, but I can't possibly take from God and give to you. Now can I? You know, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm such a spiritual man. I've just dedicated everything that I have to God, to the temple. Therefore, I can't help you. You know, and, and when they would do this, they were allowed to keep their possessions that they had dedicated to God in their home. And they could use it for whatever purpose they wanted to use it for, right? And then when they died, that money, that those resources would go to the Pharisees and to the scribes. And if they ever, for whatever reason, wanted to be released from that vow, all they had to do was repeat it again, Corbin and abracadabra, bada bing, bada boom, right? They were free from the vow. And it was just a way in their mind of how to circumnavigate, how to, you know, get around the command of God instead of honoring their father and their mother. Now, I, I think, you know, it just happens to be we're here in this chapter on a Father's Day, and I think it's worth it for us to think through this, that, you know, that we are called to honor our father and our mother. Turn over, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is speaking about widows, right? But we get a little insight on this topic of honoring our parents, honoring our father and mother, as, he, as Paul gives instruction to Timothy in regards to widows. He's given Timothy instructions in regard to those who are really widows and what their ministry in the church should look like. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. Paul writes, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, and the context here is instead of the church taking care of them, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. And then if you look down a few verses, verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, these are, these are powerful verses, right? They speak to us as believers that God desires for us to honor our fathers and mothers, especially in their old age. You know, because when you were little, they changed your diaper. You know, they took care of you when you were sick. And they fed you and provided for all your needs the best they could. But here in our story that we're looking at during this times, the Jews had come up with a way to get around that command. Again, I'd like to help you, Dad. You know, Mom, I wish I could help you. You know, I know you need help. I know you need some money. I know you're hungry. You know, but everything I have, Mom, Dad, it's Corbin. My hands are tied. I've dedicated everything to the temple. My commitment is to God first. I don't have anything to give you. And Jesus said, whatever profit you might have received from me is what they're saying is a gift of God. And Jesus spoke against this. Verse 6, he said, Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you've made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. You've allowed yourself to become hypocrites in order to avoid obedience to the word of God. And the Pharisees, they claimed to be holy and righteous. You know, they even had, they had all kinds of names for themselves, all kinds of titles. 
And one of them is that they were a guide to the blind, right? And they really prided themselves and they gloried in the idea that they were a guide to the blind masses, right? Uh, and yet Jesus, he called them hypocrites. You say you're a guide to the blind, but Jesus is going to say in just a minute, but you're blind. Jesus called them hypocrites. And the Greek word is hypocrites, right? It literally means mask wearer, right? It comes, it's a word that comes from the theater, which describes actors that they would um, wear different masks with exaggerated features um, painted on them. And you're familiar with the two masks, comedy and tragedy. That's, that's what it's talking about. You know, they were, on the outside, they were one thing, but they were something completely different underneath the mask. And Jesus called the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites. They claimed to be these great men of God. They claimed to be godly, and they saw themselves above reproach, right? They saw themselves as righteous. They saw themselves as the leaders of Israel, as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they were mask wearers. It was all a show. They were living one life outwardly, but inwardly they were living an entirely different life. They were two-faced. And, and that's where we get that phrase, two-faced. They were mask wearers. They were hypocrites. We've already seen Jesus instruct his followers not to be like the hypocrites. Jesus has told us, Matthew chapter 6, that we're not to be like the hypocrites. We're not to live one life around church and another life in the world. It's really those people that do live double, double lives. They're the ones that get the hardest and are beat up the most in the world. You know, I heard a story one time of a farmer, and, and he owned this apple orchard. And he had this one really huge apple tree, and it happened to be half on his property and half on public property. I mean, it, it grew up right on the uh, property line. So what that farmer would do was every day that farmer would grab a large stick and he would go out and he'd beat that tree. He would beat every branch that he could reach in order to get the apples to drop. And the reason why is he knew that after school the kids would come by and they would also try to get apples from that tree. So the farmer, he would try to get there before the kids He'd beat that tree in order to knock down apples so that the kids wouldn't get any free apples. And the point of the story is this. Because the tree was half on private property and half on public property, that tree got beat more than all the other trees in the orchard. And the same is true for us. right? When we're trying to live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, right? You're just going to get beat up. You're going to get hit harder than everyone else. You're going to be miserable when you're in the world because you have too much of the church in you. And you're going to, when you're in church, you're just going to be miserable because you have too much of the world in you. Don't live a double life. Don't be a mask wearer, Jesus would say to us this morning. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, one thing I love about Jesus is you always knew, you always know where you stand with him. You know, he doesn't hold back. Here are these, you know, so-called bigwigs, these heavyweights, right, coming down from Jerusalem, and he just lays it out for them, saying, you guys are hypocrites. And Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, verse 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as uh, doctrines the commandment of men. Right? They draw near to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. You know, these, these 
Pharisees, these scribes and Pharisees, they would stand out on the street corner and they would pray these beautiful, wonderful, eloquent prayers. But it was all outward religion, right? It had nothing to do with their hearts. We need to be careful not to just draw near to the Lord with our mouths, with just our lips, giving Him lip service without any heart behind it, right? How careful we need to be. The songs that we sing, our worship time, our prayer time, our prayer life, our time in the Word, how careful we need to be not to just be checking a box. Okay, I read a Bible verse or two this morning. Check. Now I need to switch gears into prayer and worship mode. You know, how careful we need to be of keeping our walk with the Lord from becoming, you know, just a ritual. Singing songs, like the song we sang this morning, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone with no heart or sincerity behind it. No intention at all of actually giving the Lord our heart and our soul and living solely for Him. We need to be on guard that we don't just become mechanical, where we give no thought to the things that we're singing. You know, we sung some beautiful songs this morning. Where was your heart as you sung them? You know, what's going on in your heart this morning? Were your lips and mouth moving, but your heart, where was it? Was it far from the Lord? You know what? We have to protect against these things. You know, it's something that I have to do. I'm not immune from this. When we pray, we need to protect our heart from just, you know, rambling and rattling on, you know, just letting words flow from our mouth. When we give the Lord thanks for our meal, we need to be careful that it's not just words, right, coming out of our mouths with no heart behind it. Lord, thank you for this food. Bless mom, bless dad, uh, you know, bless sister, bless brother, um, bless the dog, um, bless Mom, bless my teacher. Um, uh, I don't know. Amen. You know, we need to guard our hearts during our prayer time in the morning. We need to guard our hearts during our worship time here at church. The Lord doesn't want any of us to fall into ritual, right? He doesn't want us to fall into religious practices. You know, well, these are the things I do because I'm a Christian. The Lord wants all of what we do and all of what we are, right? The Lord wants all of it to come from our heart. It's so important. And please, don't miss this this morning. The Lord is interested in your heart. Our relationship with Him is of no value to Him if it's just mechanical. If it's just completing a list of things to do. You're just checking a list, you know, checking the box. The Lord desires a loving, heartfelt relationship with each one of us. He has extended His heart to you, and He wants you to respond to Him with your heart, right? If your heart isn't near to the Lord as a believer, then something my friend, is seriously wrong. It's so easy, especially, you know, if you're being used more and more in the ministry within the church or in your neighborhood or, you know, God has you stepping out in faith. You know, it's so easy to get to that place where you just feel burnt out, right? And if you ever get to that place, it's because you're trying to do it in the flesh. You're trying to do it from your own resources, your own strength. You know, it's so important. It's so very important for us to keep our heart near to God so that our service to God can be from the heart. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians 6 
where he says we're not to serve the Lord with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know, those of you that have been stepping out into the arena of service, it has to come from the heart. And we need to guard our hearts and be careful of allowing our hearts drifting away from, I get to do this, to I have to do this, right? We need to be careful that our service doesn't ever become a work, right? We need to, we could spend a lot of time talking about the heart, you know. God is not interested in the outward service for Him, right? Or the things we do for Him. You know, if it's not preceded by our hearts being right with Him, it's of no value to Him, right? And we saw that, we see that in the book of Revelation. That was Jesus' complaint with the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. They were doing all the right things. You know, they had good doctrine. They had some really great programs. Everything seemed to be going so very well, but they had left their first love. You know, they had lots of motion, but no emotion. They allowed their hearts to grow distant from the Lord. They had left that love relationship with Jesus. They weren't communing with the Lord any longer. And just... To be honest, that's the beginning of backsliding, isn't it? You know, when you stop connecting with the Lord in your heart, when you stop communing with Him, you know, that's the beginning of backsliding, falling away. And, and you know what? I don't know if you realize this, but I'm pretty sure no one wakes up in, in the morning and thinks, you know, Today, I'm going to start the process of backsliding. You know, I think today's the day where I'm just going to uh, start backsliding and just throw my whole life away. Yeah, today's the day. I'm going to do it. You know, that's not the way it happens. It's a slow and very gradual drift. It's when your heart stops connecting with the Lord. That's when you begin to drift. It's when you get religious, you know, and you begin to fall into rituals. That's when you begin to drift. And after a while, you know what you're doing? You're just, you're just going through the motions. And eventually, you begin to make some really terrible, regrettable decisions. Remember what Jesus said when they asked him what the greatest commandment was? Remember what he said? Jesus said, Mark 12, 30, he said, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the picture behind his answer is that we're to love the Lord with everything that we are, everything that we have, every fiber of our being. He wants our whole undivided heart in order to be saved it has to be from your heart you have to turn from your sins and turn towards God with all your heart Paul said that in the book of Romans Romans 10 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved if you're only partly sorry for the things that you've done, you know, if you want to maintain a piece of your heart and allow it to be divided and, and maintain a piece of, uh, you know, maintain a friendship with the world, then you make yourself out to be an enemy of God. If you just do it half-heartedly, you become an enemy of God. James said, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, James 4.4. It's all about the heart. It's something we see all throughout Scripture, right? When it comes to baptism, right, what did Philip say to the Ethiopian eunuch? You know the story. The Lord told Philip to leave the revival that was going on there in Samaria. He was go to go down to the desert near Gaza. 
when Philip got there, he saw the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Lord told him to run and overtake take him. So as Philip runs, he comes alongside the chariot. He hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah 53, and he asks him, he says, Hey, you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch was honest enough to say, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come in to his chariot and sit with him. You know, I just love the story because when Philip got into the chariot, it says that he began right where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. He began to preach and teach Jesus Christ, right? Is that something you can do? Just open the Bible and begin to preach, teach Jesus uh, from any verse in the Bible. You know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, that's something that we should be able to do, right? Well, Acts chapter 8, 36 and 37, you know, Philip's teaching and preaching Christ, right? It says, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. In other words, what Philip said was, the only thing you have to do is believe with all of your heart. That's it. You just have to believe with all of your heart and you can be baptized, right? And the Ethiopian eunuch, he answers Philip, he says, I believe that Christ is the Son of God. You know, Paul, he talks about giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He talks about how God loves a cheerful giver, but it has to come from the heart. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're giving to the church and it's out of compulsion, if you're doing it, you know, just begrudgingly, God's not interested in your gift. You know, I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need your money. He's after your heart. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down 1 Samuel 16. That's the classic passage of God being interested in the heart. And you remember the story when Samuel, uh, the Lord told him to go and to Jesse's house and anoint one of Jesse's boys to be king. And remember when the eldest son of Jesse, Eliab, came out, he was a strong, good-looking kid. And Samuel said to himself, surely that's him. That's the next king of Israel, right? But you remember what the Lord spoke to Samuel? The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees our heart. And we need to protect our hearts from growing cold to the things of the Lord. Turn back real quick to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. It's Jesus again speaking about the Jews uh, of his day. And look at what he has to say to them. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. He says, For the hearts of the people have grown cold. It's a process. We need to protect our hearts from that process ever starting in our lives. We need to be cultivating a heartfelt, loving relationship with our Savior on a daily basis. We need to cultivate it with the Father on a daily basis because God is interested in our heart. Flip back real quick to Matthew chapter 15 and we'll read on. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus said they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
You know, this is something that the church is guilty of today. And it's really, it's grieving how many churches today setting aside the Word of God, deciding what is and what isn't the Word of God, teaching that the Word of God is not relevant to our culture today. You know, not speaking of sin and the need of repentance, right? Not teaching that it's the blood of Jesus Christ and His blood alone that cleanses us from our sins. You know, they avoid topics that are going to offend people. And Jesus says that's hypocrisy. Verse 10 says, When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Then his disciples came to him, said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this? And again, this just cracks me up. You know, the disciples come to Jesus and say something like, Jesus, um, you realize that offended uh, the Pharisees that offended those guys? I mean, they're important guys. You know, of course Jesus knew it offended them. One, he's God, and he knows everything, including what's in the heart of men. Two, he intended to offend them in order to shake them up and shed some light on the way they elevated man's tradition above the Word of God. And in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has, has not planted is uprooted. This saying actually reminds me of one of the parables we've already studied. It reminds me of the parable Jesus gave of the wheat and tares. Remember, Jesus said that at the end of the age, he would send out his angels and they would gather up the tares, bind them up, cast them into the uh, everlasting fire. And Jesus explained that the tares were those that practiced lawlessness. You know, they were the ones that were planted by the enemy, that weren't following Christ. Yeah? It reminds me of that parable of how the seed that wasn't planted by the Father would ultimately be uprooted and burned in everlasting fire. And Jesus says in verse 14, Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Right? We're not to get worked up when sinners sin. When we see sinners sin, I mean, don't, don't be amazed at it. Right? We're not to be, you know, I don't think Jesus would have us form committees, and organize boycotts. Jesus says, just let them alone. They're not going to see. They don't want to see, right? How sad is it that Jesus would say something like that? You know, that the condition of man's heart could grow so hard that Jesus would say, just let them alone. They're blind, yeah? And the people who are the blindest, are the people who refuse to see. You know, it's sobering to understand that as a human being, we can reject the Lord and reject the Lord and ultimately come to the place where we're blind. And what a dangerous path that is to be on, to be someone who's rejecting the Lord. You know, we've talked about Pharaoh in the past, how he how his heart was hardened like this. You know, so many times, you know, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. We read about it. Seven times it says he hardened his heart. And it was as if the Lord said, okay, you want a hard heart? You got it. Now your heart's hard. And God ratified that decision for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. How sad it is that Jesus said of these leaders, and they were supposed to be religious leaders. These were men of God, supposedly. How sad it is that he would say that they were blind. Leave them alone, Jesus said. They're blind guides. Leading the blind. 
you know what? They're leading others who are happy to follow them into destruction, right? You know what? The world is going the way the world is going. It's prophesied. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. Things are going to get a whole lot worse. But as believers, our mission is to be faithful to the God of, uh, call of God on our life, right? Get the gospel out to people. Reach out to people with the, with the gospel. But on a daily basis, we're to be faithful to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. Verse 15, Peter, he answers and says to Jesus, explain this parable to us. Right? And I love this about Peter. I mean, you ever read in the Bible and you think to yourself, Lord, I don't get it. You read a passage maybe a few times. I don't get it. Would you explain it to me? You know, that's me so much of the time as I'm reading the Bible. And I'd encourage you, if you're not in the habit of asking the Lord to open His Word to you, get in the habit of asking Him, right? Don't just gloss over things and forget about them when you don't understand them. You know, don't rely on, on remembering your question to ask me later. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to remember this. I'm going to ask, ask Pastor Gary what that means. No, ask the Lord, right? Oh, I got to get a commentary and see what they have to say about that. Hey, you know what? You can do that if you like. You know, it's not bad. But better yet, again, stop and ask the Lord, Jesus, would you explain this to me, please? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Would you please open your word to me and make it clear through the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, we can pray like the psalmist, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your word, right? Can I ask you pointedly this morning, when was the last time you read the Word? And it wasn't just a casual reading, but you really spent time digging into it and you asked the Lord to teach you and reveal His truth to you, you know, to reveal His heart to you. You know, that's something that we need. You know, one of the things I love about our men's studies on Tuesdays, um, you know, we're just a group of guys digging into the Word, commenting on neat things that we see in the Word, and then we discuss how it applies to our life, right? And I encourage you guys, when we start up the men's study, and it's going to start up again soon, you know, I encourage you, do everything you can. Make every attempt to be out there and be part of that. We need it. We need you to sharpen us, and you need to be sharpened by us, Right? you can't make a Tuesday morning, Tuesday evenings, come together for a meal and we dig into the book of Revelation together. We just dig into the Word and see how it applies to our life. And you women, the, the women's Bible study during the year, the book study, the summer book study going on currently, it's a great time to dig deeper into the things of God and discuss how to practice, practically apply those things to your life. Sunday morning is important, and I applaud all of you for being here. You know, Mimi's Cafe and the brunch is calling, I know. But, hey, Sundays are just the first step in discipleship at Calvary Chapel Truckee. We need to go deeper. How healthy would you be if you only ate one time a week? You know, if you only ate on Sunday mornings. We need to be in smaller groups. Right? Where we can encourage one another. Where we can cry out to the Lord and just say, Lord, teach me. Right? That's what Peter did. He asked Jesus here saying, Lord, explain this to me. Verse 16, so Jesus said, are you also without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. You know, it's interesting as you look uh, and as you think about the heart, there are two things that really reveal where a man's heart is. One, the things that he says, 
and two, the things that he does, right? If you listen to a man long enough or if you, you know, watch him long enough, you can figure out where he's coming from. But it seems like the mouth is the dominant revealer of the heart. Jesus said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Another place, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus continues and says, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness or lying, blasphemies. You know, what a picture this is of man's defiled state, man's depravity, right? This is the depiction. This, this is not the description of the other guy's heart. This is a description of what's in our hearts, right? This is a description of what's in my heart. This is a description of what's in your heart. Jesus said, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thoughts, false witness, blasphemy. And you know what? Isn't it crazy? That's a list that the world thinks what needs to go in to make a good movie. That's an exciting movie. You know, it's a description of fallen man. And Jesus continues and says, verse 20, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, they, that doesn't defile a man. Jesus, you know what? He's not interested in anything that's outward. Man is not in need of outward ritualistic cleansing. It's the heart. That's the problem. The heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. You've heard it said. You know, men's hearts are dark. You know, it reminds me of what Jeremiah the prophet said. He said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in light of this heart issue, in light of this problem, God promised through the Ezekiel the prophet, speaking of the new covenant that would be established upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ our Savior, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's, that's to say a tender heart. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And I encourage you to write that down. Exodus 36, 26, because that's what it is to be a Christian. God gives us a new heart. It's not an outward reformation. I have to clean up my act, you know, so that I can be a Christian. Once I can do that, then I'll be right with God. No, it's not an outward, you know, uh, reformation we need. It's an inward regeneration that we need. It's our hearts. We need them to be touched by our Savior, right? tell you what, you look at the news today and you just see the depravity of men. And I just keep coming back to Isaiah 20 where the Lord said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, I can't get over how that's such an accurate description of the times we live in. You know, it's, it's more accurate now than it's ever been before. And honestly, just so no one thinks that I think that I have arrived in this area of the heart, I haven't, man. I'm a mess. I struggle. You know, and I pray with, as David prayed, I pray daily, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David was a man after God's heart, but he was a sinner like the rest of us. You know, he was a terrible father. Ter he never corrected his kids, the Bible says. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. I mean, he brought a curse on, on Israel, the nation of Israel, by disobeying God's commandment. 
He was a man of like nature, and his prayer was, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he was considered a man after God's heart because that was his heart. Maybe you're like Paul. I know I am. You know, where Paul confesses, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with, with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. You know, Paul's saying the things I want to do, you know, I, I don't do those things. And the things that I so desperately don't want to do, that's the thing that I just find myself doing. And very candidly, that's my problem too. And Paul finally cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I'm so tired of the struggle. You know, I've, tr I've tried, but I can't do it. You know, I can't live the life I desire to live in my own strength. Who is able to deliver me? And Paul realized who his deliverer is. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the answer. Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth saying, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yeah, Gary. But if I'm a new creation, why am I struggling with the old me? You know, it's a process of sanctification. It's where God is working in us, where God is molding us into the image of Christ. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Oh, how I wish it did, but it doesn't. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Speak of the process of sanctification, saying we are being sanctified. You know what? There are bumps in the road, and unfortunately, there are failures too. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. The idea is, you know what? There are going to be falls. There are going to be failures along the way. But the righteous man gets up and he keeps on going. We're not to give up in the face of failure. We're not to give up. We're to press on. We're to press on. Paul said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which uh, are behind, you know, the failures, the falls, my flaws, my faults, forgetting those things and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's the wicked man who falls and stays down. He just gives up in the face of adversity. That's it. You know, believe me when I say, I'm not the man I want to be. But thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Man, and I am going to go forward. And I encourage all of us to run the race that God has set before us. Right? The Lord is at work conforming us into his image. It's the process of sanctification. And it continues until that time that he calls us home to be with Jesus. But it all comes back to the heart because that process is governed by our hearts. Right? So where is your heart today? Is it far from the Lord today? What kind of relationship do you desire to have with Jesus? Because He will only take you as far as you allow Him. Protect your heart from allowing it to grow cold and distant. Press on. Press into the Lord. Run the race that is set before you. You know, if you're a believer here today and you find yourself struggling, you know what? Humble your heart. 
fall on your knees before your Savior and ask Him for help. He's here for you. Some of my favorite verses I turn to all the time, and they bring such comfort to me time and time again. Psalm 145, verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You know what? If your heart has grown distant to the Lord, call out to Him today and allow Him to touch your heart. Receive that healing touch from Him this morning. You know, if you're not a believer, you're here today, you're watching online, you know, I'd encourage you, come to Christ today. If you'll turn from your sins and turn towards God, you know, if you're sorry over your sins and you ask Jesus to forgive you your sins, if you believe that Christ died for your sins there upon the cross of Calvary, that he died and he was buried and the third day he rose again, the Bible says you can be saved, right? But it's something that you have to believe and want with all your heart. Half-hearted confessions are short-lived and they're worthless to God. But if you, you know, if you're tired of the mess you've made of your life, and you'll just cry out to Jesus, if you believe Christ died for you and that He's Lord of all and you'll confess Him with your whole heart, Jesus will make you a new creation. He'll give you a new heart, one that's sensitive to Him. And He'll begin to work in your life and reveal His heart to you as you begin this relationship that He desires to have with you. Let's pray. Father God, again, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your heart, Lord, for us. Lord, I pray that all of us here, all of us watching online, would respond to your heart with our heart, with all of our heart. Lord, those that don't know you, that they would respond and they would ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness for you and be cleansed of their sins and begin a new life with you. For those of us that are struggling, that are just barely making it through, that we've grown distant, we've allowed our hearts to, to grow cold. Lord, I pray you would light a fire in our hearts afresh, a new flame. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to humble ourselves before you and just cry out to you, Lord, help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, for those of us that are just really going for it with you, we're doing great. Encourage us and strengthen us, strengthen us to just continue to press on or to continue to run for you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all that we are, Lord Jesus. I give you praise, Lord. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.